Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the podcast show where I interview the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by the incredible Jeff McDonald. Jeff is the former VP of Unilever for Global HR. He's also co-founded the charity Minds at Work and is a thoroughly professional keynote speaker and mental health campaigner. He's had a huge amount of experience and um, I'm thrilled that he's also on our Dial Global Advisory Board as well. So we're, we're delighted to have him um, and welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks, Leila, and really cool to uh, have the opportunity to engage with you. Thank you so much for being here with us. And, um, you know, it's great to, uh, great to have you here, really, to, to hopefully share more with our audience who, who is listening. Because, of course, um, I'm, I'm very privileged to, to know um, a little about your unique story and some of your personal experiences and how you came to be where you are today. But it would be great if you could perhaps share, um, you know, how you, how you ended up in, in, in this position. Obviously, um, you know, wearing the, the multiple different hats and, um, you know, working across across the world now on, on various consultancy pieces. So, so talk to me about um, talk to me about how you came to be where you are and, and perhaps some of um, the current projects that you're focusing on. Yeah, I'm sure, Leila. I mean, you know, I mean, I would have never, I, I never would have thought I would have got to where I where I am and what I'm doing today. I mean, that wasn't in the grand plan. Um, I actually started my career as a teacher many, many years ago in South Africa, and I was going to be the headmaster of a school in South Africa. It was as simple as that because I just love seeing people grow and develop and being part of that journey and, and teaching them. Um, but I sort of, I, I lasted a while in teaching and then I stumbled on this company called Unilever uh, and I had a 25 year career with Unilever culminating, as you say, in the global VPHR for all of our marketing, communications and sustainability around the Unilever world. So I had about eight years in the South African business and then I spent uh, five years working across Africa, the Middle East and Turkey. Then I went out to Australasia and headed up HR for the Australasian region. And then I came back and I did some global talent roles. And then I did um, a, a global business partnering role, culminating in the role that I just described. And, um, and yeah, you know, I mean, there was a wonderful 25 years uh, in, in the most amazing, amazing company. Uh, but on that journey back in 2008, um, and I only left Unilever at the sort of middle of 2014, but back in 2008, uh, you know, I woke up one night, middle of the night with a panic attack. Uh, never, ever experienced a panic attack in all my life. Uh, kind of thought that I was having a heart attack because panic attack wasn't even part of my vocabulary. I don't think I'd ever had a conversation with anybody about a panic attack. And... Um, and I thought I was about to have a heart attack. Uh, anyway, seven o'clock the next morning, uh, you know, I'm still lying in bed, fretting, anxious, finding it difficult to get myself out of bed. And by lunchtime, I'm in a doctor's room and a doctor begins to ask me all sorts of questions around my lifestyle. And I am then finally diagnosed with anxiety fueled depression. Um, and, you know, I mean, I never, ever, I mean, I never knew what the word depression was. Uh, I used to think the word depression meant it's raining on a Saturday morning and I can't go for a bike ride. And so I'm depressed because it's raining outside. 
or Arsenal Football Club that I love to bits uh, loses every match in the last third of the season and I get depressed about the Arsenal football team. I mean, you know, that was my understanding of the word depression. And here I am diagnosed in 2008 with, with anxiety fueled depression. When I leave the doctor's rooms, I make a decision that saves my life, and that is not to be burdened by the stigma of mental ill health. And in many ways, the doctor liberated me to be able to make that decision. Uh, and so what I did with that decision was I told my family, I told my close friends, I told my employer what was wrong with me. And that ability to talk about my illness resulted in me experiencing the most unbelievable outpouring of love. And during my darkest moments during my recovery, um, I, the only thing that actually kept me going was knowing how much I was loved by so many people. And you know, last night I was doing something with our Minds at Work charity and it was all around reintegrating people with mental ill health into the workplace. And they talk about three very important aspects of recovery uh, for people. The one is to have hope. The other one is to take control of your recovery. And the third one is to feel that you have opportunities still out there in the world. What I felt this expert missed in the, uh, amongst the, those three principles of recovery, I said to him afterwards, I said, you know what I think is the most important principle around recovery is love and knowing that you feel loved by so many people. It was so huge in helping me to get better. Anyway, I get myself better over a period of three months. I go back to Unilever. 2010, I have a relapse. Nothing as bad as 2008. I'm able to keep myself at work. And then in October of 2012, I'm walking home one evening and my wife phones me to tell me that that afternoon I lost a very good friend by suicide. Um, he was the most wonderful person. Um, he was the most energetic, fun-loving, wonderful father. And, and now he was dead and he had died by suicide. And you know, Layla, I got home that evening and I kind of thought to myself, I can't believe this. I mean, he hadn't told me, he hadn't told his friends how he was feeling. He'd kind of mentioned it to his wife, but she probably thought that he was just a bit stressed. Uh, and I lay there that night and I thought to myself, you know what, here I am now in 2012, flourishing in many ways, as you know, almost as a result of my, my illness in 2008 and 2010, learning how to recover every single day um, and keep myself healthy, both mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Uh, and here my, one of my closest friends is dead. What's the difference? And the only difference was my ability to talk and his inability to talk. And so I came to the very simple conclusion that stigma had just killed my friend. You know, had he had had any physical illness, he would have gone and got help. He would have put his hand up. He would have spoken to people. But because he was suffering from a common form of mental illness, he didn't think that he could put his hand up and ask for help. And eventually that led him to take his own life. And I'm not, I'm not saying to you this afternoon that had he been able to talk, he definitely, definitely would be here today. But I honestly believe that had he been able to talk, there's a tiny, tiny chance that he would still be here. And, you know, I knew how powerful it was to be able to talk. And so I just thought to myself, you know, there's probably, I don't know, a 1% chance, even if there's only a 1% chance that he would still be here today, had he been able to talk. You know what? That's worth fighting for. That is worth fighting for. And so that night I wrote to Alistair Campbell. I asked him to meet up with me within uh, 10 days. We got together. He responded to my email within 10 minutes. I couldn't believe it because, yeah, it was an email from Jeff McDonald at btinternet.com. You know, this wasn't Tony Blair writing to Alistair Campbell. Within 10 minutes, I got a response. Um, 
within uh, 10 days, we were together up in Belsize Park. And you know, Leila, ever since that day, he began to open some doors for me, which allowed me to take some very, very tiny footsteps back in 2012 on a path with a journey filled with a great sense of purpose. And the purpose is, my purpose is to try and create workplaces all over the world, everywhere, every workplace, everywhere in the world, where people feel they genuinely have the choice to just ask for some help if they are suffering from a common form of mental ill health. And you know, there isn't one workplace anywhere in the world where if somebody is suffering from a common form of physical illness, you know, the flu, a migraine, a bad cold, they know that they can put their hand up and ask for some help. Why do we still have workplaces all over the world where people feel they still don't genuinely have that choice to put their hand up and ask for some help if they're suffering from a common form of mental ill health. And I am absolutely determined to try and change that. And I want to change it because I know that that one conversation, that one conversation could just lead to saving a life. And that's worth fighting for. So that's how I kind of ended up where I am now. I left Unilever at the end of 2014. And all I had was this sense of purpose this desire to create that kind of world. And you know, over the last four or five years, the universe, whether it's that sense of purpose, has taken me to people and to places I could never, ever have imagined. Uh, and that's why I say, when I started, there was no grand plan to this. Uh, but the last five years, you know, being filled through this sense of purpose has just opened up opportunities, introduced me to people, you're one of them, who I could never have imagined that I would engage with and meet with uh, going forward. So yeah, that's how I got to where I am. Jeff, this is what I love about speaking with you is because everything you say, you say it with such passion and rigor and enthusiasm. And, you know, not only that, you know, you really, you speak so much from the heart and, you know, what you, you know, and thank you for sharing as well some of those personal pieces and especially about the suicide of your friend. Um, you know, I had a, well, it, it was my uncle actually. And, you know, don't, actually often talk about this ever you know certainly not not publicly but um you know committed suicide and um you know i think the more that you speak to people about things like this actually the more that you realize they're incredibly common it's like you say you know it is being able to have that voice and it's being able to speak and you know what almost looks a small differential between yourself who's obviously struggled and suffered and um you know bounced right back and your friend who's also had the same you know talking versus not talking it's it's just it's just amazing isn't it and the more people you, you talk to about things like this the more people that actually end up saying actually that's you know that's happened to me or i've had someone close to me um you know who's experienced that or even i've i've experienced that that myself so um you know it's just and, uh, you know leila i mean every 40 seconds somebody takes their own life in this world Mm -hmm. every 40 seconds so i don't know how long we've been talking for now but let's just work it out you know or we could work it out we're going to have a half hour conversation how many seconds every 40 seconds across the world somebody has taken their own life and you know and i think the other thing you know we should be clear about is that you don't have to be depressed to uh, die by suicide um, life just might at that moment in time just be completely overwhelming and it's too painful and too hard and you make this very irrational decision. 
But I just know that if when people are feeling that way, if they can just have a conversation where they feel loved, where they feel a sense of hope, where they feel that there might be an opportunity to come out of this, then being able to have that conversation, wow, that can save a life. And, and by God, it's worth fighting for. It, and you're so right. It is that one conversation that can make the difference. Right. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure whether I told you this, but, but many, many, many years ago, I, I used to work you know, voluntary actually for the Samaritans, you know, it was three years on, on the phone speaking to individuals. And, um, you know, often it was, you know, people didn't feel they had anyone to be able to turn to. And actually just having that, that human touch, that element that there is someone there that's willing to listen and be an ear, it makes a world of, of difference. And, um, you know, very, very powerful fact there from you know, every 40 seconds. I mean, if that doesn't hit home, you know, I, I don't know what, what, what does, frankly. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's something that we certainly should be, be speaking about far more. And, and certainly with the amount of hours that individuals work these days in the digital world, um, you know, it's more so important now than, than ever before because, now, I guess whilst we're, you know, able to communicate via the wonders of social media and, you know, say, say now on this video call, actually, you know, that human to human contact is, is not always so prevalent. You know, it's often through a screen, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, your real passion around diversity and inclusion, you know, how do we create these workplaces where people actually feel completely included? And, and, and I can't feel completely included if I can't talk about my mental health, why, I can, of course I can talk about my physical health, but for me, a truly inclusive culture is a culture where I can talk about also my mental ill health and my mental health, you know, because mental health is a positive thing. Having good mental health helps me to have good cognitive ability and I can think clearly, I can make good decisions. But, and, but if I'm ill, I want to be able to be part of an organization and a culture that feels inclusive where it's kind of, you know what, that's okay to be able to talk about this stuff because you know what, you're probably just normal um, and, you know, maybe something <laughs> has kind of happened to you. We all live on the spectrum, don't we? We all I hate the statistic about one in four and one in six. I mean, it's one in one. We all have mental health. We all have mental ill health. And some days I wake up feeling very anxious and it goes within an hour. Uh, and then in 2008, I got really ill and it stayed with me for six months. You're so, absolutely right. right. But is it, we are all on the spectrum. You know, life is full of these ups and downs and kind of cyclical moments where, where we are going to feel the pain worse than others. You know, I think there is a degree that we all suffer from, from mental health. Um, you know, and like you, you know, have a huge amount of anxiety, um, you know, from, from the past, from various different times and, you know, keep that calmed, um, you know, various tools and techniques. But, yeah. um, you know, really speaking to people is the best medication you can possibly get over and above anti-anxiety tablets and antidepressants and the likes um but speaking it almost it relieves that burden off the shoulders doesn't it yeah absolutely. And, and and tell me because i'm sure there's lots of people who are kind of listening in now and i think especially leaders you've got so much experience with you know seasoned leaders and c-suite with all of your experience that you know do you find that there's kind of more of a stigma at that senior level 
um, you know, and, and, and as a male, you know, uh, specifically as well, you know, we do have, um, you know, a lot of um, kind of, um, you know, men uh, without stereotyping here who are in, you know, these kind of senior positions of power who, who perhaps, um, you know, have almost felt the need to, to be this kind of, you know, put on this this facade um, of of being in this leadership position. When actually, I think these days that's not always necessary. You know, talk to me a little about the, the stigma yeah, piece. So I I think let's start with the second one. So do I think that men find it more difficult to talk about this stuff? Absolutely, absolutely, men find it more difficult uh, to talk about this stuff. I think men, for some reason, we find it more difficult to be in touch with our emotions. Uh, and then to be able to express those emotions and to be able to talk to our other male friends about those emotions. So, yes, I think men find it more difficult to talk about this. Uh, I also think that at the senior level, I think it becomes gender neutral. And I don't, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female. I do think that it's more difficult for really senior people who are still very, very ambitious or who is the CEO of an organization and is being watched over by his or her external board, I think that it is difficult uh, for those individuals to be open and to talk about the challenges that they might have had. And you know, part of what I'm trying to do, uh, Layla, is I'm actually trying to make heroes out of people who have suffered from a mental ill health condition. When I look at some of the people today that are in this movement of breaking the stigma, I mean, these people are heroes. These people are creating a different world, a different narrative, all as a result of the significant challenge that they've overcome. And in many ways, I would like, to, I would like us to begin to think about and have a mindset of, you know, irrespective of whether you're junior, senior, or whatever, that episode that you had of mental ill health, if I talk about my own experience, Layla, do you know what? It's made me a better human being. And I'm not going to wish it on anybody else, but I'll tell you some of the attributes that I've got better at as a result of my experience. I'm a better listener. I'm more compassionate. I have overcome a significant challenge in my life. When life didn't seem worth living, I took accountability to live. I decided I wanted to live and I wanted to make myself better. I overcame that significant challenge in my life. I've become so much more aware of and in tune with the symptoms and the emotions and the feelings of other people. Imagine that humanness leading organizations today versus, with all due respect, some of the narcissistic bullies that I see leading organizations today. And so how do we, how do we begin to create a narrative out there that says, you know what, somebody who's had a mental ill health challenge, they're probably a better human being. And it's, we, want, we want more humanness in workplaces today and we want those human beings leading and creating value through their organizations. And then the other thing is, let's see these people as somewhat heroic because as a result of their mental ill health, they are engaging in activities and things to really make this world 
a better place and we need more of them. Absolutely. And it's so fascinating the way that you talk about all of that, because I completely concur. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, the leadership of the future will genuinely be about the heart. I think in the past or right now, almost, it's kind of it's, it's about brains and the mind, you know, and the heart is starting to get there. Um, you know, before that, it was quite something different. It's almost this, this evolving piece. And, you know, fortuitously, you know, our future generations, you know, millennials, um, of which I am just, um, zillennials and the likes, you know, really are starting to see the importance of purpose as a bigger, wider issue. Wow. So there are good things I think are thought and I think we have um, you know, lots of positive things to be, be certainly thankful um, yeah. you know, about in the future because what you talk about there with such passion and tenacity is, is absolutely um, where we ought to be and you know, unfortunately there are still bullies and as you very directly said in your South African way, narcissistic individuals. You know, we've all seen that classical archetypal booming leader who, who comes in expecting to be a certain way when actually that is not what they should look like in the future. You know, it's yeah. not what, you know, we don't want to look up to people like that. And yeah. to, to use your terminology there about heroes, yeah. why would we have a hero <laughs> like that? Yeah, and people have got a sense of humanness. You know, I love what you've just said, Leila. I mean, you know, I think AI in many ways is going to force us to be more human because the, the, the technical expertise that got you to the top of that organization is no longer going to be enough. It's going to be your humanness and your ability to engage with your customer, with your client, with your consumer in a way that feels human, that feels compassionate, that feels caring. That's going to make the difference into the future because some robot is going to do all the... So you're not going to get your kudos from your technical expertise anymore. I'm going to buy you because of how I feel about you. Exactly. The USP is the humanistic part of it all. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the most valuable commodity of the future. And, you know, I guess finally, because, oh my goodness, you know, I, <laughs> I could sit here and talk to you all day and I'm realizing we've actually been talking <laughs> nearly half an hour and actually should be coming to the end of the podcast whilst I feel like launching another one all over again and talking further about this. I, I'd, love to, uh, I'd love to kind of just summarize and go into almost, a, you know, just a couple of quick last questions in a lightning round. I'm going to give you only 30 seconds to answer Ooh, each one. Fun. 30 seconds, quick fire round. So, <laughs> so, is there any advice that you would have given to your younger self if you had the opportunity? Wow, is there any advice I would have given to my younger self if I had the opportunity? And the advice would be yes, of course I would. And it would be learn to recover more during the course of a day. Learn to be more compassionate to myself, self-compassion. Be comfortable with relaxation and just taking a bit of time out to be myself. And by God, I wish I'd also learned how to look after aspects of my emotional and mental health, just like I had my physical health. And would there be any advice that you would impart to others out there who are who are struggling and, and perhaps, perhaps scared to speak out or, or worried about the, the repercussions that they may face? 
internally, whether at work yeah. or... I mean, my advice, to, my advice would be, uh, first, my first bit of advice would be, you know, if you are feeling uh, levels of stress that are becoming distressful, if you are feeling that you're beginning to develop an unhealthy relationship with things like alcohol or other means of relaxing yourself, and you know that the stress is actually becoming distress, my plea and my advice is find somebody who you know loves you and just start that conversation about how you're feeling. Please just go and have that conversation with that person. The other piece of advice that I would give is please take time out to prioritize your health. It is the most important thing. It is the most important thing. Now you might think signing a deal and working 24 seven for years and years is the most important thing. It is not, it is your health. And if you want to survive in an environment which is as busy and as anxious and as volatile and as complex, that's not gonna change. And so therefore carve time out during the course of the day to attend and look after your health. Prioritize it, prioritize it. So, so important. Thank you so much, Jeff. That has, you know, honestly been truly, truly inspirational. And it was, it was quite, if you don't mind, it's quite funny then because the lights actually went on. So whoever's listening to, to the audio version of this and is not watching the, uh, the video version on YouTube, actually would have seen the lights go on when Jeff said that. So it was, quite, it was quite a good moment actually to see as well. So if you're listening in on audio, check it out on YouTube as well. Um, but what a wonderful way to, to kind of end, end the show here today, Jeff. You know, as, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Um, I really hope that that individuals who who are tuning in can can really you know glean with them you know glean and take away some of those real gems and nuggets of wisdom. If you're struggling, um, whether it's at work, whether it's in your personal life, um, take a leaf out of Jeff's book. As he said, you know, really find someone who loves you. It is absolutely as simple as that. Find someone who loves you, who cares, who's willing to talk and listen to what it is that you have to say, because I promise you, it will be the best thing that you've done. Do not suffer in silence. Thank you so much, Jeff, for being here. Pleasure, Lena. Thanks for having me on your show. You're so, so welcome. And I will see you very soon anyway. Very, yeah. very soon indeed. Um, so um, for everyone listening, um, you've been listening to, uh, to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the podcast show with you every week. If you'd like to get in touch with Jeff directly, he's on LinkedIn, he's on YouTube, he, he's in many different places um, in the digital sphere. So, so make sure um, you check him out and listen to some of his talks. Um, or alternatively, you know, do reach out to him on LinkedIn. I'll put all the information into the podcast show notes for today's show. Um, and you can check those out online on YouTube channel, www.dalglobal.org forward slash podcast. I'm Lena McKenzie and I will look forward to seeing you again next week. Bye for now.